was about. It's, uh, I'm going to get ahead of myself and then catch up with it. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches in, preaches in Acts chapter 2, and he talks about the resurrection, and the people, they're laughing at, the, at, at, the, at all the disciples speaking in tongues, and they're hearing the mighty works of God in their own languages. And Peter first begins by saying, this is what Joel said, that in the last days God is going to pour out a spirit on all flesh. My sons, your sons and daughters will dream dreams. Your, will son, your, your, your old men will dream dreams. and young men will have visions. Even on your sons and daughters I will pour out my spirit in those, in those days and they shall prophesy. He says, this is that. And then he talks all about Yeshua. And he says, he talks about how they had delivered him up uh, uh, as Pilate is talking about in today's reading. They had delivered him up to be crucified but God raised him from the dead. And then, uh, and this is, he says, this is the Messiah uh, of, of whom God said he was good. God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Yeshua has not only been raised from the dead, he has been exalted to the Father's right hand to a position of supreme rulership over the entire cosmos. Then the people say, the people say, brethren, what shall we do? Now here's a question I never heard asked. What were they repenting? And I said, they were cut to the heart and they were alarmed. And I said, brethren, what shall we do? Now, what were they repenting of? They were repenting of having missed and rejected this ultimate messenger from God. And why were they repenting of that? Why were they alarmed? This is very important. Because they knew if he is who you say he is, and obviously he is, he's coming back as the judge of everything. And we're going to have to give an account to him for ourselves. And we want, we want... They're not saying, what shall I do over the fact that I call my, my, my mother-in-law dirty names? Or what shall I do because I cheat on my taxes? Or, you know, or what shall I do because I'm not as good a guy as my brother-in-law Phil? That's not it. It's, what shall I do? I have missed it. I have rejected and put myself on the wrong side of the judge of the entire cosmos. I'm in trouble. Now, that's the good news of the kingdom. That's part of it. That Yeshua is this king. And that he is bringing to pass the consummation of all of God's will. So the entire cosmos is going to get renovated. You know? Now let's get back to my notes. What was the good news? the gospel that Yeshua and his emissaries proclaimed. Because we've got to unpack it a little bit. It's the good news of the kingdom. Repeatedly, repeatedly, over and over again, I invite you to read Luke and Acts. Just skim through it this week. And just look for one thing. Every time it's mentioned, the good news or the good news of the, the, good news of the kingdom. Every time that's mentioned, you're going to be astounded. It's all over the place. Mark provides us, in the beginning of his gospel, he provides us a succinct 
summary, a little bit of hypertext on what the good news of the kingdom is. He says, the time has come. God's kingdom is near. Turn to God from your sins and believe in the good news. That's what he says is the compact good news of Yeshua. The time is near. The time has come. God's kingdom is near. Turn to God from your sins and believe the good news. Now, let me ask you some questions. The time is fulfilled, he says. What time? What time is fulfilled? Now, I used to just think, oh, the time that the prophets promised the Messiah would come. Well, that's pretty good. But that's really not what it is. It is the time when the age to come is being inaugurated. What has happened with Jesus and the resurrection and the ascension is that the age to come has begun. The whole New Testament teaches that. It's begun. It's begun in a preliminary fashion in what's known as proleptic fashion. We are experiencing a foretaste of the age to come. It is truly here, not in its fullness, but it's truly here. Times have changed. As I've been telling the people on Thursday night, we are living in the new normal. It's entirely different. Yeshua says, among those born of, men, of woman, there has arisen none greater than John the Baptist. He says, John the Baptist was the greatest, he, you know, in music, Johann Sebastian Bach was the greatest Baroque composer. He was at the end of the Baroque period. His sons thought he was old-fashioned, but they didn't know squat. They were part of what's called Rococo, which is more ornate. But he was the Baroque, and he was the pinnacle. He was the Everest. You can't, you know, I could talk about Bach. There's no words. Just, the word genius is chump change in talking about him. He was a universe, and he was the pinnacle. John the Baptist was the Johann Sebastian Bach of prophets. He was the pinnacle. And then Yeshua says, nevertheless, is greater than he. Now that's pretty arresting stuff. Who is it that is least in the kingdom of heaven? It's you. You are greater than John the Baptist. You are greater than John the Baptist. All of you, Roya, you are greater than John the Baptist. All of us. Because we are living in the age of fulfillment. We are living in a time where there's, a, there's resources and there's dynamics in action that John the Baptist only could point to. We are living in, uh, or the Bible says, we are living with things into which angels long to look. Now, in the new normal. So, this gets to the kingdom. The time has come, the time of the beginning of the age of the Spirit. God's kingdom is near. Now, it's near in two ways. How I ask here in my notes, how is it near? First, it's near in terms of being available. You can enter into the kingdom through accepting the king and his terms. It's near in terms of being accessible. But it's also near in terms of the fact that it's approaching. But um, 
then turn from your sins. Why? Why should we turn from our sins? And the, the reason is not because you're not, not, not because of your brother-in-law Phil, not because you call your mother-in-law dirty names, not because you're cheating your taxes, but because the judge of the whole earth has been raised from the dead and he is coming back and we will give an account of ourselves to him. And the reason that we repent is because of the grandeur of the gospel of the kingdom. We repent because we realize who he is. And we realize, uh, we realize we're accountable for what we know and for how we've lived. And that someday we'll give an account. The reason we repent is not because of something about us. We repent because of the truth about him. Do you understand me? It says, the time is fulfilled, God's kingdom is near, turn to God from your sins, and believe the good news. Believe the good news that the kingdom has begun, that the age of the spirit has begun, that Yeshua being raised from the dead is the prototype of the entire resurrection of the dead. That all of the righteous of all ages will be raised from the dead and when we see him, we will, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. We will also have resurrected bodies. You're not going to be floating around in heaven like Casper the Friendly Ghost. As a matter of fact, you're not going to be in heaven. Heaven is a, it's like a VIP lounge where people wait for the consummation of all things. All the redeemed of all the ages are awaiting the consummation of all things. At the end, we're all going to be living in the reason the resurrection is important is not because it's a stunt, but because regardless of how broken down your body is, regardless of the fact that it will decay in the grave, regardless of all that yucky stuff, God is going to reunite us with our bodies and we'll have glorified bodies. We'll be identifiable, we'll be physical, but we'll be deathless physical. Jesus cannot die again. Impossible. He is physical, but he's transformed physicality so will we be. That's not bad. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is near. Turn from your sins. Believe the good news of the kingdom. I'm going to tell you more about, good, about the kingdom. We here, all of us here, are, have been marinated in uh, the culture of evangelicalism. Uh, evangelicalism is everything you think about when you think of, of the gospel. Evangelicalism is a cultural milieu that has penetrated all of us. It is known for at least two words, gospel and salvation. Those are the two big words in evangelicalism, the gospel and being saved. Do you follow me? Oh, God answers prayer. This is good. Thank you for working on that, Sean. The gospel and personal salvation. Behind the word gospel is the Greek word euangelion and, e or, and evangel, from which come the words that we get, evangelicalism and evangelism. So the gospel is a euangelion. This Greek word breaks down into two parts. Eu means good, like euphemy, uh, like uh, uh, there are other words that, that translated to English that begin with you. 
but this is this it, it, it's a prefix meaning good. So euangelion begins with you meaning good and angelion meaning a message, actually an announcement of victory. In Hebrew, this is the besora. The gospel is the good announcement of victory. Whose victory? It's the victory of God in Christ. It's the victory of God in the Mashiach. Next slide. Please, thank you. We find this in the Older Testament, uh, for example, in this passage. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Navu al haharim ragle mevaser. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of the good news tellers who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. What this is a picture of is that when the, when a people went to battle and their, their king, the king was the truly the commander in chief in those, in the ancient world. He was the, he went at the head of the armies. That's why it's so indicting when we read about King David in the matter of Bathsheba, at a time when kings go to war, he's on his house and he's peeking out his window when he sees this lady taking a bath on the roof of the house next door. He shouldn't have been there. It's a time when kings go to war. Well, when the kings go to war, then when there is a victory or a defeat, messengers come back to the people to tell them what happened. The person who preaches good news is the person is the messenger who comes back and says, "We won." That's what the gospel is. The gospel is the message that says the king has won. I get excited about this. <laughs> the king won. Our king won. He won through an ignominious death, being crucified naked on a Roman cross, the most humiliating death possible in the ancient world. Not just painful, not just, but degrading and it was the worst. Only criminals that, uh, 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 went through that. But in all of that, he won. And because he won, we all won. This good news is not about us and about how we get saved. Although we benefit from it because, because he wins, we win. But this good news is the good news of the victory of God in the Messiah. It's the good news about him. He won. Because he won, we win. But it's about him. Okay? It's not how do, what do I need to do in order for me to get saved. It's what did Yeshua do in order for all of us Amen. to get saved, for the whole cosmos to get saved. Turn. Next page. This brings us to a second word, salvation. It's from the Greek word soteria. That's why the study of salvation in theology, fancy word, is soteriology. Behind the word salvation is the Greek word soteria. Evangelicals as a whole and most Messianic Jews are not really evangelical. We're not good news people, as Yeshua and the apostles were. Our preoccupation, we've been taught by our culture not to be telling this story of the fact of God's victory in the Messiah from the very beginning to the very end, to the end of all things. That's not what we normally think of. We normally think of telling people the four spiritual laws, how they can get saved, how they can invite Jesus into their hearts. 
tell me, I, I, I don't know the Bible very well. Where's the verse in the Bible that talks about inviting Jesus into your heart? I'll wait. It's not Revelation 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice. And, huh? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him, that there will be saved. But wait a minute. That's not inviting him into our hearts. Confessing him as Lord, by the way, in the Roman world. Who was Lord in the Roman world? Who? Caesar. The whole New Testament passage you just read, the whole clamor was, if you, this guy says he's the king, if you don't crucify him, you're no friend of Caesar. That's why Pilate crucifies him. Because Caesar is the only one who's allowed to be king. So, or to, to be Lord. So to say Jesus is Lord is to say that Yeshua is Lord and not Caesar, and that is a death warrant. So it's, it's a, a statement of radical allegiance to Yeshua and believing that God raised him from the dead. But it's not like we go through a kind of a, a transformational flip. It's that we, we transfer our allegiance from Caesar, from the things of this world, we transfer our allegiance to say, Yeshua is Lord. Amen. He is the Lord over everything. Okay. Uh, next one. This is the good news as summarized by Paul. I want you to notice, when Paul tells the good news, uh, I, I want you to, let's see. Let me see if I ask a question here later. I'll ask a question now. I'm going to ask the, I'm going to give you Paul's good news. I'm going to ask you, what is it about? Or who is it about? What is Paul's good news? Now, brothers... I must remind you of the good news which I proclaim to you and which you received and of which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved by this good news. You're saved, we are saved by the good news. We're saved. That's very important. We're being saved because, because he won, we won. We're being saved by the good news about Yeshua. Provided you keep holding fast to that message I proclaim to you, you need to maintain your allegiance to the king. If you don't, your trust will have been in vain. For among the first things I passed on to you, which I also received, was how to bow your heads and invite Jesus into your heart. No, that's not what he says. The first things, that the Messiah died for our sins according to what the scripture says. Tanakh says, and he was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with what the Tanakh says. And next one, and he was seen by Kepha, then he was seen by the twelve, and afterwards he was seen by more than 100 brothers at one time, the majority of whom are still alive, though some have died. Later he was seen by Yaakov, then by the emissaries, and last of all he was seen by me, even though I was born at the wrong time. And then he talks a little bit about some confusion they have about the resurrection, etc. Then he comes back at the end of the chapter. He says, the fact is that the Messiah has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have died. 
He's the prototype of the assembly line. He's a down payment on your resurrection. The first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a man, also the resurrection of the dead has come through a man. For just as the, in connection with Adam all died, so in connection with the Messiah all will be made alive. But each in his own order. The Messiah is the first fruits. But he's connected to the harvest. We are the harvest. We're part of the harvest. And then those who belong to Messiah at the time of his coming, then there comes the culmination when he hands over the kingdom to God his Father after having put uh, an end to every rulership and to every authority and power. For he has to rule. He's the king, the exalted king. He has to rule until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be done away with will be death, for he put everything in subjection under his feet. And when it says that everything has been subjected, obviously the word does not include God, who is himself the one subjecting everything to the Messiah. Now, when everything has been subjected to the Son, then the Son will subject himself to the Father, who subjected everything to him, so that God may be everything to everyone. So, next passage. Who is Paul's good news of the, uh, of the king and the kingdom about? That kind of gives it away. It's all about Yeshua. It's all about the story of who he is and what he did and what he will do and what that means for us. That is the good news of the kingdom. Contrast that with this. Who is it about? What is missing? Okay, here's the, the four spiritual laws. Okay. Uh, Rusty, uh, uh, are your eyes good enough to read that? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Man is sinful and separated from God. Thus he cannot know, know and experience God's love and plan for, your, for his life. Messiah is God's only provision for man's sin. Through him you can know God's love and plan for your life. You must receive Messiah Jesus as Savior and Lord by personal invitation. Uh, all right, we, okay. Now, I'll just ask you, who is this, who are these four spirituals fundamentally about? They're fundamentally about you. They're fundamentally about us, how we can get saved. What has told us about Yeshua here? Huh? What did you say? Nothing? Very little. Uh, it says... Uh, He's God's provision for man's sin, and we must invite him. We must receive him as Savior by personal invitation. But the whole story of who Yeshua is, the whole grandeur of what he's doing, it's all about me. It's all about my personal salvation. It's how you as a person can get saved. It's not about really what God has done about the whole cosmos. It doesn't have the grandeur of what we've been talking about. And it doesn't really align us with what God is up to in the world. It's, it's a very egocentric, uh, um, individualistic is the word I'm looking for, an individualistic mess message. Okay. Here is the uh, next one. This is, now, this is the uh, Apostles' Creed, about the second century. This is a document that the, the church has used in order to uh, summarized the gospel as they understood it. It begins with, I believe in God, the Father, the maker of, only, of 
the maker of all things, and in Yeshua HaMashiach, his only son, our Lord. And then it goes on. I believe in the Messiah Yeshua, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Now, that is really a summary of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. So, the early believers had, had it straight that the gospel was really the story of who Yeshua is, what he did, not just for you, not just for me, but what he did in terms of the whole cosmos and the fact that he's the king of all and he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. Okay. So here I'm going to give you a slightly expanded version of the good news of the kingdom. Please go on. Uh, can you see this in the back or is it hard? All right. Um, I need some people to help me read. Uh, would you, Steve, come here? Please. Would you take a microphone and, and read this for me? Number one, the word became flesh. As you don't have to read the numbers. Okay. The word became flesh as the promised son of David and dwelt among us uniquely righteous in word and deed. Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures. Messiah was buried. Messiah was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Messiah appeared alive after his resurrection by many infallible proofs. Messiah ascended to enthronement on high. Next one. Messiah will return as king and judge to rule the earth in righteousness, consummating God's purposes for Israel and the nations, with each entering into the fullness God has promised and prepared for them in new, in new heavens and a new earth, characterized by righteousness and wholeness. After all things have been subjected to him, he will deliver all up to be subject to his father, including himself, that God may be all in all. He offers a foretaste of the benefits of the life of the age to come to those who render allegiance to him. These benefits include intimacy with God and experience of his powerful presence even now. Those who will not have this man rule over them will face the consequences of the shortness of resources they otherwise possess and therefore find themselves outsiders to the promised age to come. This is the greatest of tragedies to which no, none others compare. Okay, so the issue was allegiance. Uh, will we receive Yeshua to, to rule over us? Would, would we, are we the kind of people who would have him rule over us, or, or are we people who would reject that? It's an important issue. Okay, so one more. I just want to show you uh, Yeshua the emissaries and the good news of the kingdom. We read in Luke 8, Yeshua went through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and the 12 were with him. Ch chapter 9, calling together the 12, Yeshua gave them power and authority to expel all demons and to cure diseases and he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. In chapter, uh, chapter 10, the Lord appointed 70 other Talmudim, we don't even know their names, and sent them on ahead in pairs to every town and place where he himself was to go. He said to them, to be sure this is a, a large harvest and therefore there are few workers. Therefore plead with the Lord of the harvest 
that he speed workers to gather in his harvest. Heal the sick there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Next slide. You will notice that for Yeshua and the emissaries, proclamation of the kingdom and healing always went together. Here's a good question. Why does he constantly say, go out and proclaim the kingdom and heal? Why the connection with healing? This is a tough question, but the answer will be obvious to you once you hear it. Yes? It's, that's very good. It's a foretaste of the kingdom. In the kingdom, will there be any death? Will there be any disease? Will there be any blindness? Will there be any deafness? Therefore, the healings are signs of the kingdom. They're evidence that the kingdom is here. So, here's my risky question. Should proclaiming the kingdom and practicing healing or delivering healing or, or mediating healing to people, should they go together for us too? I was brought up to believe no. Uh, for most of my life as a believer, half of my life as a believer, the assumption was no. That was for once upon a time, but not for now. But you need to ask yourself, uh, when Yeshua sent out, when he went out with the 12, they preached the kingdom and they healed. When he sent out the 12, they preached the kingdom and they healed. When he sent out the 70, whose names we don't even know, they preached the kingdom and healed. Then he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Did that include a healing or not? That's a good question. And you need to, you need to grapple with it. And I'm not going to browbeat you about it. But the force of what the scripture is teaching asks us that question. That doesn't mean you have to become a Pentecostal. It doesn't mean you have to dress like Benny Hinn. It doesn't mean that you have to make people fall down. It doesn't mean all this shtick. This is not about style. It's about substance. Okay. Here's the last slide, and I thank you for your patience. It got tough for you. Your body language told me, is he done yet? Now I'm done. Here's the last slide. At the end of the book of Acts, uh, we read a summary, really, of what the new covenant faith of that time was about and also of what the Apostle Paul's ministry was about. And look at this. Shaul, this is the last two verses of Acts. Shaul remained two whole years in a place he rented for himself, and he continued receiving all who came to see him openly and without hindrance became the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. One more. So here is our job. Our job is to present the good news of the kingdom through all manner of communication. It doesn't mean just preaching. Any way you can communicate it. We need to present the good news of the kingdom. Number two, we need to repre represent the good news of the kingdom in all manner of our relationships. What I mean this is really important, is that we should embody in the way we act with people the wholeness and the holiness of the kingdom. We should represent the kingdom to them, not simply by what we say, and not even by acting religious, but by embodying the spirit 
and the age of the spirit in all of our relationships. It means not being a hard-nosed kind of religious fanatic that people want to avoid you. They see you coming and they, 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 they cross the other side of the street. We should all be good news people. When people see us, they say, good news, Roya is here. And I believe you're a good news person. You know, I believe, you know, good news. We should all be good news people, people who, who are a blessing and, and who, who are an embodiment of the health and the wholeness of the kingdom. So we should present the good news of the kingdom and we should represent the good news of the kingdom and how we live. Number three, we should convey the reality of the kingdom in, in being a healing presence in the world in the power of the Spirit. We should convey the reality of the kingdom. Now, can I guarantee you that every time you pray for somebody to be healed, it's going to happen? I don't. Can I guarantee you that if you'll just submit to this or the other experience, it'll, it'll happen? No, I won't. Can't do that. Can I promise you that if you prayed for more people to be healed, more people would be healed? Guaranteed. I guarantee you. I started praying for people to be healed before I believed in it. And it was seeing what God did that made me believe in it. And whether you believe in it or not is something you should do. Because the good news of the kingdom includes the signs of the kingdom, the presence of the Spirit. And one of the signs of the presence of the Spirit is not only that relational wholeness I talked about, but the vanquishing of evil and death and disease. And we should pray for people and pray that the reality of the kingdom would be manifest in their lives. Finally, so we should present the good news. We should represent the good news in how we present it in what we say. We represent it in how we live. We convey it through, be, uh, through spreading God's healing presence in the world, bringing emotional healing, relational healing, governmental healing, societal healing, making tikkun olam in the fullness of the word. And finally, we should enlist others in being embodiments and emissaries of the good news of the kingdom. We should pray that God will send out more emissaries into the harvest. This was long, but I'm glad you gave me uh, your attention to present it. Let's close with a word of prayer and then we'll briefly close the service. One of the most tragic things I, I think God is, uh, is the meager expectations and the, the caricatures that we settle for, the puny, uh, pathetic faith that, that in some cases uh, uh, is all that we know. I'm not blaming anybody, but uh, so many people underestimate uh, and they, and they, they don't even know they underestimate. So many of us, we underestimate, I underestimate the dynamics and the dimensions of the good news of the kingdom. Forgive us for, for being so, having such small ambitions. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to have sane and enormous 
ambitions, uh, that you'd widen our view of what you've done for us in Yeshua the Messiah. So through the power of your spirit, you would cause us to break free from the confinement of, of safe, tight little spaces where, where nothing threatening can get in, but where very little light gets out. Help us, I pray. I don't even know how to pray about this, God. I don't even know how to pray. Your good news is so enormous, so dynamic, so transformative, we don't even know the words to pray. But hear the prayer of our hearts and have mercy on us. We know we need that. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Amen.